0: Good morning, morning. Uh, I want to begin by thanking all of you that prayed for me uh, as I prepared. And secondly, I want to thank the elders for the opportunity to stand before God's people. And thirdly, to also complain to the elders for giving me to preach. From a summary of a chapter. When I was given the passage of Scripture to look at, I scanned through and I saw the last three verses, four verses of chapter 2 of Colossians. And I said to myself, How can you give someone to preach? Summary. After others, have preached everything. What am I going to preach about? And last week, as the otakampore was preaching, he gives out a point in my heart, I'm saying, mm, I point, and... <laughs> So you, you are like, all oh, the points of everything has been preached about. What am I going to preach about? Uh, that was on the lighter note. Nevertheless, um, shall we come to the Lord and pray? Our gracious God and our Father who is in heaven, we come before you, Lord, this morning. We thank you for this time. Dear Lord, as we come to you, we are mindful that we are feeble beings, a people prone to wander from you, our God, in thought, in speech, and in actions. So we pray, Lord, that you forgive us of our sin, that our sin may not hinder the fellowship that you desire, and that, O Lord, as we open the passage of Scripture to preach, O God, I pray that you grant me clarity, that you unction me from on high, and you grant understanding to all of us, to the end that we may learn that which you want us to hear from you. Commence with us, for we pray and ask in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our passage of scripture is coming from Colossians and chapter 2. Colossians and chapter 2. My main focus is from verses uh, 20 to 23, but for the sake of context I want to read the entire uh, chapter. Uh, I commence reading from verse 1 of Colossians chapter 2, for I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as I have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the fullness of assurance, understanding, To the knowledge, to the acknowledgment of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in spirit joying and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ, for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principalities and power. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins, of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God and hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of a holiday, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ." Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which are not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together, increased with the increase of God. Therefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, test not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in, in, in we worship, and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So my passage of consideration is chapter 2 and the verses specifically from verses 20 to 23. Now, as I was going through the passage, um, I identified a number of things that I want to share with you this morning, and I've titled my theme, for the sermon this morning, three Christian reminders for combating false teaching. Three Christian reminders for combating false teaching. Now, the letter to the church at Colossae was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And as he wrote this letter, news had come to him in prison that a form of false teaching teaching, known as Gnosticism, was beginning to threaten the church at Colosse. The Gnostics prided themselves on their knowledge, they were people who were knowledgeable, they claimed to have information superior to that of the Apostles, and they tried to create the impression, as it were, that the person could not be truly happy unless he had been initiated into these their deep secrets that they believed in in their account and some of the gnostics of course denied the true humanity of christ as lord they taught that the christ was a divine influence that came from god and rested on the man jesus So they were basically referring to the time when the Lord Jesus Christ was being baptized and the Holy Spirit came down from heaven, dwelt upon him, and the voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. But they twisted that to mean that the Christ was simply a divine influence, which came out from God and rested on the man, Jesus, at the time of baptism. They further taught that the Christ left Jesus just before the crucifixion. Before we went to the cross, the Christ left him. And the one that was crucified was Jesus, resulting in them saying, according to them, what was uh, the one who died was Jesus. But the Christ did not die because the Christ had left Jesus before the crucifixion. Now some Gnostics, of course, believed that the body also was inherently sinful. And they practiced a, rel- a type of religion that they called asceticism, which is a system of self-denial or uh, even self-torture in an effort to attain what they called a higher spiritual state. So you needed to torture your body, you needed to punish your body for you to attain this uh, higher spiritual state according to them. Others also taught that under grace a person does not need to practice self-control but may give in to his bodily appetites and passions because they are under grace, so you might as well do whatever you want. And apart from that, Old Testament Judaism was also at Colossae, and this time around it had degenerated into a system of ceremonial observances by which they hoped that by observing these ceremonial laws and traditions, the man will then achieve righteousness before God. And therefore as the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae in chapter 2, he is writing a warning chapter. And starting in verse 8, as we see, uh, in verse 8 he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So he is writing this warning chapter to the church, and it is a warning against such false teaching or heretics or legalism as I have earlier alluded to. And this chapter basically discusses a mix, as I have highlighted, of legalism, uh, the legalistic attempts to apply the law. The seeking of mystical worship as we've seen from the passage, the worship of uh, the new moons and all that, and the pretending or putting forth of self-appeasement for people to appear humble when in fact not, which is really not humble at all. And so Paul is attacking all these things through this passage. And his main line of defence is a robust Christology as he warns the saints against being taken captive. He warns them against being carried off through philosophy and empty deception, and in his defense he seeks to answer the question to combat empty philosophy and deception. And he's basically saying, in order for us to combat empty philosophy and deception, we need to exhort the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to exhort him. We need to explain who Christ is and who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Apostle Paul does this, we see how he brings out the truth that. As we understand who Christ is, and as we understand who we are in Christ, and as we hold on to his glory, in that way, it is easier for us to arm ourselves against deception and against those things that have the appearance of value, but really they are of no value. And in verses 20 to 23, as I said earlier, they are kind of a summary or restatement of what the Apostle Paul has said before. He has said it not only at Colossae, he has said it in many other epistles that he writes to the churches. And as we look at these verses, we we see three needed Christian reminders for us to be able to reject false teaching. And that really is the dynamics of my sermon this morning. And I want to labor to uh, help us see what is at play in our verses of consideration. And we'll see that as we cling to Christ, as we set our minds on Christ, as we set our affections on Christ, and as we meditate on him and sip in on the glory of Christ, we are armed to reject false teaching and all those things which are not according to Christ. So what are the three reminders that we get from our text this morning? The three reminders are, one, we must remember who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20. Verse 20 says, he asks this in the form of a question, therefore if you are dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, other versions trans- translates rudiments that from the elementary principles of the world, why as though living in the world? are you subject to ordinances? So he asks a question, if you are dead with Christ, why are you following all these things? Don't touch this, don't eat this, observe this feast. Why? So we must remember who we are in Christ. Secondly, we must remember the worldliness of false teaching. And he he, he says this uh, in verse 22, and says, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and the doctrines of men. So it's something that is worldly, so we must remember the worldliness of false teaching. And thirdly, we must remember the deceptive nature of false teaching. We must remember the deceptive nature of false teaching. So my point number one, we must remember who we are in Christ in order for us to combat false teaching. So look at how uh, the Apostle Paul begins verse 20, therefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, test not, handle not, and he begins with therefore, if, so he uses the word if, Now, the if, according to theologians, they refer to the if as the first-class condition. It's a condition, coming from the engineering and computer background, the if is also known as a conditional statement, because you've got a particular statement you want to, to execute, so you set up a few parameters, if this condition is like this, then do this. So Paul is using the, the the phrase "if" in the sense of the phrase "since you have been," and he's saying, "since you have been." So he can even say, "Therefore, since you have been dead with Christ, or since you have died with Christ." So it's it's, it's an assumed reality if you have died with Christ, and he speaks of dying to a couple of things separation from the old way of life, and he says, if you have died, you are separated from your old manner of life, and it's not just died, but it's died with Christ, and this speaks of the means of our separation from the worldly life. We cannot be separated from the worldly life unless we are dead with Christ and raised up with him through faith in him. And the Apostle Paul warns the church and says to them, because you have died with Christ, you have union with him. You have union with Christ in his death. You have been buried with him in baptism. He says this in verse 12, and he says, buried with him in baptism, where also... Uh, you are also risen with him through faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So the apostle is saying, you are buried with him. We are united with him in his death. We are separated from the worldly life on this account. And this is what Paul's emphasis throughout this passage is he is constantly pointing us to Christ as he does this he keeps on repeating the same things over and over and over again in almost all his warning and he does this not only in this passage but in other passages as well just as an example let's look at galatians chapter 4 and see what the, the apostle paul says to the church at galatia So, Galatians and chapter 4, from verses 8 to 12. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says to uh, the saints at Galatia. Galatians chapter 4, from verses 8. So he says, Howbeit then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which are by nature not gods. But now, after that you have known God, rather are known of God. How then are you turning to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years, and he says to them, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you my labor in vain. So he also says the same things to the church at Galatia. They were observing days and festivals, and they forgot about the supremacy. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes to them. And he keeps on saying these things. And why is he repeating himself? Because repetition is emphasis. So he's emphasizing his point. So Paul is showing us that the way to combat worldly philosophy. The way to combat empty deception. And the way to combat legalism. And the legalists who say you must not eat this. You must not drink this. You must not touch this. You must observe festivals, the new moons, the Sabbath days. He's saying the way to combat any mysticism that was around that time is not primarily to evaluate those philosophies, but rather it is to understand who Christ is and who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's reminding them, why are you doing these things? As if you are still living in the world. And since as we understand that we have died with Christ, that we have been unified with Him in His death, we necessarily understand that we are dead to the elementary principles of the world. We have died to the world's way of thinking, we have died to the things which are not worthy of being compared with Christ. And all false religion, all false teaching, All manner of thinking, all philosophy that is worldly is unworthy of comparing with the truth of the gospel. And that is what Paul is saying. And he's saying, Jesus Christ is enough. The only begotten of God who came to the world to lead a perfectly sinless life fulfilling all the Lord's demands, obeying the law in every way that you and I have disobeyed the law, and then going and laying down his life for sinners such as ourselves. He's reminding them, this is enough. And he reminds them, you are buried and risen with him. So he's basically reminding them that he, uh, as, 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 as he was buried and stayed in the ground for three days and he rose again declaring victory over sin and death and the grave so that all who believe in him might have eternal life, might be raised to the newness of life. That is enough. And by being united with him by faith, We have eternal life. So that is what the Apostle Paul is basically saying to the saints at Galatia. He's he's telling them, you are not your own. And friends, as we look at the, the Apostle Paul warning the saints about human philosophy, we see that no human philosophy, no manner of thinking about anything can be anywhere compared to that glorious truth. So when we understand that we have the truth of the gospel on our side, we then understand that we are dead to those principles of the world. And when we understand the glories of Christ, it is the highest theology that we can understand. It is the highest understanding in all the world. So any other human philosophy is like elementary principles, that's why Paul calls it elementary principles. Now for those uh, in school you learn about elementary math, because you are talking about the one plus one, the two plus two, and then you move to advanced, you go into calculus, you go into all those things. So he's talking about these things are elementary, we cannot compare them with the glories of Christ. In other words, he's he's basically saying to them, comparing these elementary things with the glories of Christ is like comparing, uh, you know, someone with a doctorate degree to my son, Warukundo, who only knows one plus one is equal to two. So you go and put Elder Kambore there with a PhD and you put my son there and you want to compare them. One plus one and a doctorate. It can't. It's unworthy of comparing, and really, even my, my, my comparison of calculus and one plus one cannot match the comparison between the human philosophy and the glories of Christ and the truth of the gospel. And that is the truth that Paul is trying to bring out in the text and is saying, remember who you are in Christ. So to help us combat false teaching, brethren, we must remember who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember our union with Him and the implications of our union. Now, if we look at verses thirteen to fourteen of Colossians chapter one, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Colossians once again as he begins this book. In verse thirteen, he says, "For you have heard of my conversation. Sorry." So in verse fourteen, he says, he reminds them of who they are, and he says, from verse twelve, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So he's reminding us, this is who we are. We are his we've been delivered from all these elementary principles of the world. We've been delivered from all these decrees of men of touch this, don't touch this, don't eat this, observe this and that. He's reminding us and he's saying remember your union with Christ. And we must also remember that our union with Christ has implications on our relationship to the worldly things. That's why the Apostle is asking them, why, as if you are still living in the world, are you doing this? Because the implication is once you receive Christ, you are no longer the same. You've been transformed. So why are you observing these things? You've been set apart, you are separated from the things of the world. Not only from the things of the world, but from the sin that was clinging to us and the worldly philosophies that entrap us. We have been set apart. And it is important to note that when it comes to the things that Paul is talking about here, there is no neutral ground. You can't have one leg here, another leg this side. It just can't work. It just can't work. And that's why he's asking a question, why? If you say you are dead to these things, why are you still observing them? Why do you submit yourselves to these? And in other words, Paul is saying, if you are in Christ, why would you be flirting with the enemies of God? Because the people that were teaching all these myths, the Gnosticism, they were enemies of God. They denied the deity of Christ. So why are you flirting with them? If you are his bride, you are dead to the world, you are set apart. So the first reminder that we need to know for us to uh, combat false teaching is to remember who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And number two, we must remember the worldliness of false teaching. We must remember the worldliness of false teaching. Now, as I said earlier, the whole chapter of Colossians two makes it clear to us that false teaching focuses on worldly matters. False teaching focuses on nothing but worldly matters. So it says in verse twenty-two, "Which all are to perish with the using." And in verse twenty, he said, uh, "Why, as though living in the world, are you subject to the ordinances? Touch not." 23 weeks things have indeed a show of wisdom in real worship and humility and neglecting of the body in any honour to the satisfying of the flesh." But these are the traditions of men. So he's asking why do you submit to them? Why? And the idea here that Paul is bringing out the fact that he's asking a question, why as if you are living in the world? He is basically bringing out the the fact that even if we, as believers, we are still living in this world, we are not subject to submit to worldly standards. We have a higher standard that the Lord has set before us. We are not living in it as those who are entrapped in it, as those who are in bondage, but we are rather living in it as those who are pilgrims, those who are on their way to glory, as we were singing. We are here as exiles, as those who are sent out to call the captives home, but no longer in bondage ourselves. And so Paul asks the Colossians, why are you living in this world like this? Why are you following the false teachings? Why are you following the false teachers to the extent that you obey their commands? Don't eat, don't touch, and since even this, to this day, in our modern world today, we also face these things. It's not only what's happening at Colossae, it's also happening in our day, the traditions of men. Some of the traditions of men as we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they attack us and come to us through our own families. Especially when we go through different circumstances of, of life. When you, we have the death of a loved one, there are all manner of traditions that are brought before us. And sometimes we, we, we follow these. They will tell you, they will tell you, And as believers, we say, ah, but the Lord is saying, look, these are traditions of men. Uh, Just two days ago, I had an encounter with someone who had uh, a misfortune in the family. The the, the wife had uh, a miscarriage. And uh, this person says, no, I can't talk to you because so you get the point those are traditions of men and some of these things are happening even amongst the believers no I can't talk to you unless they put a dish here with some herbs and then you step in there then you come, then we can talk because then the kapopo has been neutralized then when we talk my mouth will not bend we are also sometimes following these things. But the Apostle Paul is also reminding us why, as if you are still living in the world, are you subject to all these things? In our day, I can rephrase it why are you subject to all these things? Talk not. Don't talk to me. The mouth will bend. And I hope and pray that we don't have saints here who are still holding on to these human philosophies and traditions that the Apostle Paul is warning us. And he's basically saying these are absurd elements, they are nothing. And to show the absurdity of the elements, Paul takes us to the source of the false teaching. He says these are traditions of men, and not of Christ. They are traditions of men. And dear friends, we have a choice to make. Like he warned the church at Colossae, they have a choice to make whether to obey his command for them not to follow these traditions, or we decide to trust and submit ourselves to Christ, to his teachings, to the revelations of his, of his word, and then to the revelation of God. We have a choice to make. But really, we don't really have a choice. Because it's a command that the Lord is giving to us. Why are you doing these things? And to my nine Christian friends, if you are here, these things are are strange to you. Because you are still living in these things. And unless you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you die with Him, you be raised with Him by putting your faith in Him, you perish in these same traditions of men. And the unfortunate thing is that men perish. And if men perish, why then would we submit ourselves to the philosophies of men? Why would we submit ourselves to their commandments? and their traditions rather than to Christ. We must remember the true source of sound doctrine. That's why Paul, in writing to the Galatians, because of the seriousness of false teaching, he says to the Galatians, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, that you in in whose eyes Christ was crucified? you can then turn around and begin to follow these things. Because even at Galatia, it was there. They were saying, no, Christ is not enough. You must follow the law. You must observe this in order for you to be completely righteous. Otherwise, Christ alone is not enough. So why would we find solace in these worthless things? we can't compare the two sources, from the Lord Jesus Christ, the glories of the Lord, and the traditions of men. They are unworthy of comparing. So why would we as Christians elevate all these things, elevate anything that finds its source from fallen men, Weak men, sinful men, and somehow putting it on par with the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would we do that? Why do we hold up to man made philosophy or logic as though it were worthy of evaluating scripture rather than that scripture is so high above such things that we ought to evaluate human philosophy by the scriptures? and when we are faced with certain things I remember when my my, my sister died there were a lot of issues where now they have the, have the realities of these things now come, now as a Christian what do you do? so we have to stand up, so I told them I'm a Christian and I can't participate in this, so if you are going to participate to do this I'm declaring interest I will not be a part of it because I don't believe in it. So these things come, but how do we respond in light of these things? We have to be careful, dear friends, of putting man-made religion, worldly philosophies on par with the scripture and weighing them on a balance. And I can assure you, even if we were to put such Uh, traditions of men on a scale with the glories of Christ, that scale cannot stand. It will break the moment you put scripture there because the scripture is so much heavier compared to the traditions of men. And the things of God are much heavy, so much more glorious. So we ought to remember who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes in our families they bring it, uh, you know, in a subtle way, you know, we are all Christians, we want to live in a Christ too. No, Zambia is a Christian nation. No, you know, but then you find that kuimbaka is like this and then God is like this in whatever they are talking about. So we ought to be careful. We can't compare so we must remember who we are in Christ, and secondly, we must remember the wealthiness of false teaching, and lastly, we must remember the deceptive nature of false teaching. We must remember the deceptive nature of false teaching. Now from the beginning of uh, uh, Colossians in chapter 1, like I read, uh, let's just read chapter 1, uh, verses uh, from 1 to 7. So Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at us, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which you have for all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth, which is come unto you as it is to all in the world, and brings forth fruit as it does also in you, since the day you heard of it, and you knew the grace of God in truth, and as you also learned of Epaphras our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto you love in the Spirit." Now when we look at the beginning of the book of Colossians and chapter 1, we see how the Apostle Paul begins by first praising the saints, I mean, he praises the Lord for the saints. He reminds them of the testimonies that he has heard about the saints, how faithful they have been, how the gospel is growing, and how many are coming to know Christ as Lord. And as he is writing, Paul is not writing to some troubled church. He is writing to a church that is sound in doctrine. He is not writing to a church that has rejected the truth of the scriptures or the church that is crazy, as you can think. But he is writing to a church that's a, that has a, the gospel. And he reminds them that ever since the day they heard of it from a very qualified teacher, assumes uh, uh, Epaphras, they heard the gospel. And since then, it has been constantly bearing fruit. So much that as he praises the Lord constantly, He praises the Lord for them in all his prayers, and yet, with all this description, he still goes on to warn them about the false teaching, and he uses a big section of the book to warn them about uh, legalism, false teaching, Gnosticism, and why is he doing that? Because he wants them to be careful in the same way he wants us to be careful today. We need to understand that just as Paul warned the Colossian church, when things looked like they were going on well, we should not think that, well, things are going on well. We might as well don't have to worry about these warnings. We have to be on guard, just as he called them to be on guard. And that's what he's saying. Be on guard. Remember the deceptive nature of false teaching. False teaching is deceptive, that's what he's saying. How deceptive is it? Look at verse 23. How deceptive is it? Look at verse 23. He says, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will-worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So it's deceptive. And he says, these things, when you look at them on face value, they look like wisdom. They look like wisdom. They have the appearance of wisdom. To the extent that uh, uh, when you see uh, certain things, you can not easily see the danger. You cannot see, perhaps you can look at it and say, well, this this sounds good. It sounds good. Well, that's good. Oh, that's wise. They have the appearance. That's why he's warning, they have the appearance of wisdom and therefore Paul compels us to be vigilant. No wonder he keeps on reminding us this morning of the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is again and again driving the point home that Christ is enough. He repeats these warnings because the danger was true, just as it is true now. We hear of papas, the false teachers have transformed now. They are no longer the type of false teachers that they had at Colossae, the Gnostics, Gnostics. The mystics No, this time around we have the papas that are confusing the people. They name it and claim it. Come and claim your blessing. Come and sow a seed. If you are not sowing a seed, if you are going through difficulty, then you don't have faith. Your faith is not strong because if you are a Christian you must not go through difficulty. But Philippians tells us we have not only received Christ but we also share in his suffering and if we know these things then when we see these false teachers we will be able to identify them otherwise we will we can be deceived and you know in our modern context a lot of things are also happening and we we we, we have the very much very much to be careful because Especially if you look at the uh, music industry today, a lot of things are happening. Just uh, I think uh, a week ago, there was someone who sent me some, some song from the UCZ church where this choir is dancing and rejoicing, so mwele a choir. And the church is, you know, mwele a choir. Sure is that worship? Does God put anyone in choir? Can God put you kuwaya? Not at all. We put ourselves kuwaya by not accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. And that then becomes like worship. And when they go home, no gospel, no message, no preaching about repentance and turning to God in salvation. Nothing. So we ought to be careful because some of these things they look like worship but by design it's meant to make you feel a certain way. It's about emotions, about feelings. It's by way designed to make you repeat four or five words over and over again and so that when you check into your mind and check into your emotions and feelings and then it appears as if you are worshipping. No wonder when you look at the charismatic circles, most of the people filling the churches are not believers. Why? Because of this. We were in the spirit, as if in the spirit it's where you can go in and come out. But Christ said in Ephesians chapter 1 even you at the time when you received Christ, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit who is a guarantee. So He is with us. It's not a place where you can go and come out. Even when you are in your lowest moment, in a time of loss, in your time of sickness, difficulty, He is still with you. He is still with us. So we ought to be careful. Because certain things would be like, you know, someone saying, you know, uh, I'm just a humble guy, because uh, that is what they best and pride in their, themselves, the Gnostics, to be humble. And using that humility, and then they entered and convinced the people. Because when someone comes and they go, ah, what's going on? What's going on? You're to You see? So they they, they put up that self-appeasement, a humble appearance to the extent that then they begin to sow seeds of discourse. So we see these things where in the world people do not want to acknowledge the presence of sin. Sin has now been turned into a human right. It's no longer called sin the way it's supposed to be called, but a right. Such that if someone falls into sin, someone will tell them, you know what, you follow to sin, but I, I can give you a few steps for you to follow, in order for you to feel better. So then this, this, this so-called, uh, you know, I, I, for lack of a better term, I want to call them chaps. Because uh, the Apostle Paul, in fact, if you read the book of Philippians, when he calls the false the, the teachers, he says to the churches, beware of dogs. So he called them dogs. Because of the danger, so he likens them to the behavior of uh, uh, ravenous dogs. So they will tell you, "Let me give you a few steps for you to follow." And as people follow along those steps, and they appear like it's having an effect and impact. And the, to make the matters worse, now there is even yoga. So people will tell you, "Ah, you are feeling like this. Just do some yoga. Close your eyes." Imagine like this, but sin is sin, only Christ can take it out by repentance, by acknowledging Christ as Lord, by acknowledging our sin and repenting and calling upon him, and it's dangerous because you as a Christian, as you see these things, the elementary principles of the world, the philosophies, they appear wise, it will appear humble. It will appear effective, because sometimes even the people who are taught to follow these steps, they'll come and tell you, no, after I was just taught to follow A, B, C, D, I even feel better. Begin to think, hmm, I think yoga is wrong. You get the point. Slowly you are being deceived into thinking that yoga is going to sort out your problem. It will not. And friends, even if you can correct your behavior for a time If your heart has not been transformed by Christ, it is of no value. I want us to look at Ezekiel and chapter uh, 36 and see what Ezekiel uh, says. Ezekiel and chapter 36. Ezekiel and chapter 36, so that we see how... uh, Of no value, these things are. So, Ezekiel is writing from uh, chapter 36, starting from verse 24. He's basically giving out the, uh, you know, a blueprint of how people should come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, of what happens in order for someone to be truly transformed. So in verse 24 it says, for I will take you from among the nations. So this is God using Ezekiel to prophesy to the the children of Israel. He says, I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and will bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the heart of stone, I will, and I will put a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments to do them." So this is what the uh, Lord Jesus Christ does. He transforms our hearts, He changes our, our, our obstinate hearts, our hardened hearts, and gives us a heart of flesh. And then He enables us not to follow the traditions of men, because on our own we can't. We have no power. That's why He says, "If in me you can do anything, and without me you can do nothing. And so we must be on guard against being duped by appearances. We cannot fight the flesh with fleshly weapons. So even though one is using fleshly tactics to control one's behaviour which may appear effective for a time, it is of no value if spiritual transformation has not taken place. We cannot overcome the curse of sin with fleshly, worldly weapons. We must reject false teaching. And there are many unsaved sinners who are in the churches today, duped by philosophies of men that they can't even realize it. But how can we reject false teaching? How can we do it? By remembering firstly who we are in Christ Jesus, that in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, by remembering that he is truly God and truly man, by remembering that in him we are complete, by remembering that we have fullness in him, by remembering that we have one in whom completeness of deity dwells to make us complete. And secondly, by remembering the worldliness of false teaching and its dangers. And finally, we must remember the deceptive nature of false teaching. And as we meditate on these truths, dear saints, we will be effective Christians who will combat false teaching in all its appearances. We will be Christians who will love others and also will be able to save others because we've been called and saved. We will love others. We will save others because we've been called to save. As the theme said, we are saved to save. Amen.